Al Jazeera podcast. Dennis Wayne Hope was arrested in 1990 in the U.S. state of Texas and sentenced to 80 years in one of its toughest maximum security prisons. In 1994, he orchestrated a daring escape through a pre-cut area of the prison fence just four years into his sentence. He is the only person in Texas that's ever escaped from a non-escapable prison. For two months, he was on the run. Then he was caught. And since then, Dennis has spent 27 years in solitary confinement. That's more than half his life, alone in a tiny cell. From my bunk, I can take three steps. Then you're at the door, and you turn around, it's three steps back. It's designed really for you to lay down. And that's really what they want you to do. More than 120,000 prisoners are isolated like Dennis in the U.S. on any given night. United Nations experts strongly urged a global ban on solitary confinement that lasts more than 15 days, denouncing it as a form of psychological torture. It's designed to break you. There's a part of you that's gone. And there's always that fear of losing your mind. Today, the story of how Dennis set out to change that and what it says about prison in the United States. I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Dennis Hope's 27 years in solitary confinement ended last year. He filed a federal civil rights lawsuit that a judge first dismissed, but it caught the eye of an experienced litigator who decided to take Dennis's case and petition the Supreme Court. One week later, he was moved out of solitary and into the Polunsky Unit Prison's general population. I spoke with Rana Natur, a journalist who followed his case for Al Jazeera's program, Fault Lines. So, Rana, one thing that jumps out at you watching this story is that Dennis Wayne Hope, for whatever his faults may be, is just a remarkably gifted individual. You met him. It was behind prison glass, but you met him for this film you did with Fault Lines. What did you make of him uh, just as a person? It was clear from people who knew him and, and what we knew about Dennis Hope going into solitary, that he was very smart, charismatic, very confident in his interactions with people. He was determined to not let the system or the lack of a system break him. So for all of his gifts, though, he had a very tough start to life. Uh, what can you tell us about his childhood? Right when I heard about Dennis Hope's story and the crimes he committed to get into prison and the escape that he carried out to get into solitary, I wondered how someone so clearly smart and clever went into a criminal life instead of being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I mean, he clearly had that potential. So I was wondering what happened in his life. Yeah. And the picture that began to emerge is a a really tragic one. His mother was a young mother. She had four kids. And the most generous description would be she was incredibly ill-equipped to handle that responsibility and negligent. Dennis Hope's father was a Vietnam vet who suffered severe PTSD to the point where he would have very vivid flashbacks in the house. 
and make everyone duck behind the sofa because he thought he was in the middle of a battle. And his mental health got so bad that he abandoned the family and went off to live by himself. And Dennis Hope was kicked out of the house at 15 years old and left to fend for himself ever since. Yeah, and so then he starts a life of crime. He starts robbing grocery stores in his early 20s. Finally, the law catches up with him. He's arrested in 1990, and then he manages to escape not once, but twice. And we really could do the entire podcast just on the escapes. It's so fascinating. Can you tell us the story of how he escaped? The first time he escaped, he was in his 20s, and he was sentenced for the string of robberies that he committed in Dallas. He seemed surprised that he was sentenced to 80 years in prison. Yeah. And he didn't think that he deserved a life sentence, basically functionally a life sentence. And he said, well, if I'm going to die in prison, I might as well die trying to get out. So he was in the care of Dallas County sheriffs being transported to jail. And he basically carved a key out of a ballpoint pen and unlocked his handcuffs and made a run for it. As he was running down the street, the first thing he did, of course, was to shed his prisoner outfit. And he was running down the street with his boxer shorts. And a police officer stopped him, wondering why he was doing that. And he explained that he was trading for a triathlon. And the police officer believed him and let him continue on his way. And he was on the lam for a while there until law enforcement finally caught up with him. And as punishment, he was sent to the most dangerous maximum security prisons in Texas, Darrington, the Darrington unit. And he started a very meticulously planned escape. Randy Treon was the former warden of the Darrington unit where Dennis Hope was incarcerated at the time of the prison escape, which he planned with two other prisoners. He knew and figured out how to cut the power to the unit, and so it was pitch black. They knew it would take time to cut through the entire fence, so he was able to figure out how to pre-cut the fence. He did get a map that showed him the immediate area, so he kind of knew what direction he was going when he left the unit. And then he was smart enough to go on the day after Thanksgiving. The other assistant wardens and I, we were all gone. This was a huge story in the 90s in Texas. I mean, this was a daring prison escape. And it really does set up this next phase of his life. I mean, is it really fair to say that he was sent to solitary for almost the rest of his life as payback for what he did? I think it's fair to say that he was put in solitary because he was an escape risk. As to why he was kept in solitary for decades and decades, we don't know the answer. And the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the state agency that manages prisons, hasn't given us one. But I think it is fair to say that the Texas prison agency was very embarrassed by what Dennis Hope did. It was a pretty good cause of embarrassment for the state. This was one of the few escapes where I could tell he'd put a lot of thought into it. And the... Uh, he was successful, at least for a while. He not only escaped a maximum security prison, but he made it into the population. He committed other crimes. He committed other robberies for two months and evaded the FBI. He evaded local police. And it was a very embarrassing thing for this agency. So I think it's fair to say he was put in solitary because they feared he would escape again. 
we think it was why he was put in solitary for so long, but there is so little paperwork and they do not justify why in any paperwork that we've seen on the incredible amount of time they put Dennis Hope in solitary confinement. So, Rana, in, in your reporting, you were the one to track down some documents related to Dennis's case. Dennis was in Texas, which has one of the largest solitary confinement systems in the entire U.S. In 2005, after 11 years in solitary, prison committee concluded that Dennis was no longer an escape risk. That was at least according to the court papers. But even after that, prison authorities kept him isolated. So... Why was he kept in solitary for so much longer? Texas acknowledges that solitary confinement, or what they call administrative segregation, is a very severe form of punishment. And they defend their use of this practice by saying, hey, look, we take this very seriously. This is why we have a review process. We review the cases of these prisoners every six months to make sure that they belong in solitary. And that is one of the things that they use to defend this practice. So every six months for the last over two decades, Dennis Hope went to these hearings, which to call them hearings is a really generous way of talking about it. He shows up, they send him some paperwork, most of it's blank, and he goes on his way and he's given a decision and he's given no explanation of why this decision was reached. So what we discovered is that this committee that reviews cases of solitary inmates decided Dennis Hope should be out of solitary. They said that he's been in solitary for decades. Let's let him out. And for reasons that are unclear, that decision was overruled at least twice that we know of. And the justification that was given was that this is an unusual case. And why it being an unusual case means that you can go outside of your own process to overrule a decision There was no explanation on that. So we don't really know why they made this decision, but we know that they did. At two different times, decades before he was ever let out, a committee that was given this authority by the state of Texas decided to let Dennis Hope out of solitary, and he wasn't let out of solitary. That's what we know. Here's Randy Treon, the former warden again. Back then, he was definitely escape risk. But at what point does his age factor in and his continued ability to follow the rules. And he's never been an extreme actor other than running off. The toll years in solitary took on Dennis and people just like him. That's after the break. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women. An unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. At the time I was placed in solitary, I was 26. I was young, immature. I think the hardest part is when you're first placed there. It's the uh, adjusting to being alone. In the film, you spoke with Terry Coopers, who's a forensic psychiatrist. 
He's interviewed hundreds of prisoners held in isolation, and he's one of, if not the leading expert on how solitary confinement impacts the brain. Solitary confinement is very damaging. There are psychological changes, but also new pathways being laid down that change the way the brain functions, and those changes can be permanent. What did Terry tell you about the impact that 27 years in isolation would have on someone like Dennis? Well, he was shocked that Dennis Hope is not only still sane, but able to express himself in any way. As someone who studies this, he was absolutely astounded by Dennis Hope's story. And he watched the interview. I sat with him as he watched the interview. And he just, I think he was, he couldn't believe what he was seeing, the way that Dennis Hope carried himself and expressed himself as a person who studies what this does to your brain. Mm. And it's not just while you're in solitary confinement, but it reconfigures your brain in a way that is usually permanent. Here on the outside is a common belief that solitary confinement is only for the most hardened inmates, but not so. In some prisons, breaking basic rules or being caught with contraband will earn a prisoner time in the hole. And almost all of these men will be released back into society someday. Studies show they're actually more likely to reoffend on the outside as a result. One thing that I found surprising about solitary is that it is not a quiet place. It is extremely loud. Mm. You're basically listening to the sounds of human agony, the cells next door, people who are going insane, screaming, hurting themselves, trying to get the attention of guards. And this happens 24-7. You would think the one thing that you can do in solitary confinement is sleep, but you can't because it's so loud. There's banging, there's screaming, there's guards yelling at inmates at all hours of the day. Dennis Hope indicated to us like biting himself or pinching himself at times mm. to just to make sure that he's alive. One thing that struck Terry Coopers while looking at the data on prisoners in solitary confinement is the rate of self-harm among men kept in isolation. It's not something we see in such large numbers in the outside world. The only place that I'm aware of where men in large number harm themselves in that way, cutting, mutilating their body, is solitary confinement. When you're in a dark cell and you're by yourself, whether you're dead or alive is, is a question that you have to answer in, your, in yourself. And most of us have never had to do that, but it is something that solitary inmates have to do occasionally. And sometimes that, that results in them lashing out at guards just because they want to feel something. Mm even that negative interaction. So one thing that I asked Terry Coopers, as someone who studied this, is how did this guy not go absolutely insane? And he said that from the prisoners that he has studied and interacted with, they do things that without even knowing it are very instrumental in keeping their sanity. Dennis Hope keeps a journal, and he journals every single day in a notebook of what happens to him. And some days, most of the days, it's not much. Just really small things add up to a lot when you're in isolation. And that's one of the reasons that Terry Cooper suspects Dennis Hope was able to keep his sanity intact. But many people, despite their best efforts, don't. The suicide rate in solitary confinement is extremely high. It's 
50%. So many people who go into solitary do not make it out sane or alive if we're looking at the numbers. At the beginning of this country, it was thought that solitary confinement and isolation is a fate worse than death. When our founding fathers were writing the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, they did not do this to people because they thought it was too cool, worse than death. All right, so now comes another incredible part of this story. Dennis decides to pursue justice for himself. He studied law and managed to file a federal civil rights lawsuit all by himself in 2018. Um, Tell us how that played out. From the moment Dennis Hope landed in isolation, he waged a very thorough, aggressive, and consistent campaign to get out. One of the things that he did was file a lawsuit. And one of Dennis Hope's attorneys said that he was one of the most gifted pro se clients he's ever had. Pro se is the term that they use for people who defend themselves. They do it without a lawyer. He was astonished at this brief that he saw. Mm. Now, the jurisdiction that Dennis Hope was filing this lawsuit to is a very conservative jurisdiction. They usually, almost always, defer to the prisons on matters of solitary confinement, on prisoner treatment, on prison policy. But the details of this case and how he mapped it out were so well done that lawyers who take cases to the Supreme Court, it really caught their attention And so it does go to the Supreme Court. And uh, (laughs) right before he's about to get his hearing, he's let out of solitary with very convenient timing, right? Exactly. And you would think, well, that's wonderful. That's exactly what he wanted, right? He wanted to get out of solitary and he got out of solitary. Yeah. But the details really paint a different picture. So the Supreme Court indicated interest in hearing this case, and that is huge news because this would have been one of the most significant cases to go before the Supreme Court to really question whether prolonged solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment. It hasn't been before the Supreme Court in a very long time. And what happened was the state of Texas, instead of going before the Supreme Court, they let him out of solitary and then they turned around and said to the Supreme Court, this case is legally moot because we let him out of solitary. Mm. What this does is avoid two things. The law doesn't change because the Supreme Court never had the opportunity to weigh in on this. They declined to hear the case. The law hasn't changed. So that means that Texas can put Dennis Hope back in solitary whenever they want. He has no actual protections. It doesn't result in any systemic change. It's this like a loophole that is rather incredible. And it what it doesn't do is give Dennis Hope justice for the 27 years he spent in isolation. For the Supreme Court to weigh in and say, what happened to you was wrong. What happened to you defied our ideals as a country, our constitution. That is very meaningful for someone. And he did not get that. The only reason I think that they stopped was because, you know, there was judicial oversight. You know, I'm afforded a few more privileges out here, but to me, I think it's worth losing those privileges if, if that's what they chose to do, just to see that the change is made. And that's The Take. 
This episode was produced by Khalid Sultan and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, with Miranda Lynn, Nagin Oliai, Faranisa Campana, Amy Walters, David Enders, Sonia Bagat, Chloe K. Lee, and Ashish Malhotra. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is the Takes executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>